Good morning. For you that I have not yet met, consider that my gift to you. But uh, for the rest, I'm Bob Wood. I am currently the Executive Director of the Oregon Christian Evangelistic Fellowship, or OCEF Church Planters. And uh, that was appreciated. And was the pastor of this church from 1989 to 2004. And so, Brian started a series last week. And by the way, Brian and Catherine and the kids are in Disneyland. So pray for them that that will be a great time and they will come back refreshed. <laughs> I guess I'm praying for a miracle. How do you go to Disneyland and come back refreshed? But nonetheless, pray that they will and that that'll be a good time. But he started a series on, you know, we're leading up to Thanksgiving. Hey, Buck, good to see you, Sarah. And uh, being thankful for the past. The reason we do that is because we're getting ready to look forward to something better than the past. That's what we get in Jesus. But I thought, and what a blessing it's been for me to be able to be down here once a month. I get a chance to spend one day with Brian. We do some coaching, and then I get to spend the evening with the elders as we talk about where the church is going, and, and boy, I'll tell you, things are exciting. As we see new people coming to Christ, we see people saying, hey, I want to be a part of something. Can I be involved? That's exciting. So I'm a, I am really looking forward to this. So here we go. We're going to be thankful for the past, but we are going to go from the past to the present, and we're going to look forward to the future. That's my goal with you, but Brian used a scripture, and we want to use it again today, and I'm going to piggyback on that one, then we're going to go forward. If you have your Bible or phone or wherever you keep your scriptures, we might even have it on the screen here, Joshua, the 24th chapter, and in this book of Joshua, we find an amazing time in the life of Israel, of God's people. And Joshua is not only a man of great faith, but he is a man of great action, a man of obedience to God. In fact, you can't actually have faith without obedience, by the way. And he is a man of faith and obedience. And I'm going to read just a few verses in Joshua, and then we're going to skip to the same story, but over in Judges, which is the next book. So if you're flying through your Bible... Hold on to Joshua, because the next verse I'm going to read is in Judges, which is just a few pages, probably about one or two page turns for you. Joshua 24, verse 24, the people said to Joshua, now he's shown them a lot, but the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, and we will obey his voice. I want to stop there just for a moment. There is a thing in Scripture, it's in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's also in the New Testament with the Greek called a Hebrewism or a parallelism. I know that's a weird thing to think through, but I look for those. Whenever you see the word and, now I know that's pretty simple. We think of and, it's you and me. That's an additive, those two things. But oftentimes, the first thing, in fact, when you see an and in Scripture, ask, could that be a parallelism? A Hebrewism is when the author's says basically the same thing two different ways. And I want you to see that you just had one, and I don't want you to miss it because this is very applicable to us as we believe in and obey 
the Lord. We will serve the Lord our God. What does that mean, that you're going to serve the Lord your God? He does it with a parallelism. You can translate it, that is, instead of the word and. So let's translate it that way. We're going to serve the Lord our God. What I mean by that is, we will obey His voice, His commands. Does that make sense at all? If it didn't, just say yes. Anyway, I'm going to go on. I mean, you don't want me to belabor that probably for too long. And then Joshua made a covenant with the people on that day. And then it goes on to talk about how he made a covenant. A covenant has parties, terms, and promises, and no different in the Old Testament. But I want you to see what happens next. I'm going to jump over to, ju to Judges, actually. It's repeated, almost the same thing there at the end of Joshua, but in Judges, he makes one little tweak that I think we got to pick up on. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, that's N-U-N, by the way, don't be confused, he did have parents, but Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. <laughs> oh, Lord, take me quicker than that, please, but and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance. And there's a bunch of big names there of where they buried him. And all of that generation, get this, this is in Judges, verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and, or but, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work that he had done for Israel. I, wanna, I want you to see this. This is tragic and it happens over and over and over in history. Joshua, great man of God, and through Joshua, his elders, they were called elders in that generation, saw miracles of God doing things they couldn't possibly imagine. The generation following, the immediate generation following Joshua, they saw the miracles. And it was almost as if God was working for them. They got to see it. It was exciting. They didn't really have to do anything, but they saw it. But the generation that followed them did not follow the Lord. They did not remember the things God had done. And from there, we have to look back and say, how did they get the, How do you get from Joshua and the miracles of God to Half a generation, two generations, whatever. Now we don't even know the works of the Lord. How did we get there? And you have to say, it's the middle. It's that middle. Have you ever seen a chain, a link, you know, the big chain? You got links on a chain. Somebody nod. You've seen, you... <laughs> I should have brought one. <laughs> but I'd pull a muscle trying to drag my old chain in here. But there are links on a chain. Somewhere that chain started, unfortunately, oftentimes it ends. I'll tell you what, in the world of discipleship, the world of sharing the miracles of God and being a follower of God, we are not the first link on the chain. But we better not be the last one. Because we need to be, it's called leading from the middle. Somebody introduced you to Jesus. See, Joshua introduced his followers, that whole generation, to God and the miracles of God, and they enjoyed it, but they were the last link on the chain because they didn't pass it on. 
May that never be for us. I'm gonna, before I really get to the history of our church, past, present, and future, let me talk about something. I, I don't talk about this much, okay? This is, a little, this is a little touchy. But there's a life cycle to every church. There's a life cycle to every person, <laughs> of which I'm experiencing some now. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was young. I didn't think the life cycle would end. Now I'm going, oh, man, I'm... A lot of you have prayed for us. Mom passed away just after Labor Day, age 90. What a victory. I mean, my goodness, we had a party for her that would beat all memorial services ever. You'd think she was 55 or 60. She was alive and singing and laughing. and The kids and the grandkids and the great-grandkids all participated. We got letters from all over the world from missionaries saying they were on the mission field because she made it fun to believe in Jesus. I remember once mom said, I just feel so bad that I've never made a disciple. To which I responded as a loving son and said, what are you, mental? I mean, what are we, chopped liver here? But reality is we had that great birthday party. That was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, the grandkids are still there. Tuesday, my sister calls and says, I think mom's checking out. Of what? <laughs> she at the grocery store? I don't No, she pretty much had decided she was going home. She told us that before the birthday party. She says, you know, after the party, I think I'm going to go home. And Friday night at 11.45, while my niece Maggie, worship leader, was singing How Great Thou Art, got to the last verse, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, you know, and mom breathed her last here. Oh, it just doesn't get any better than that. But I'll tell you, that leaves me the oldest <laughs> wood. <laughs> and I'm starting to feel a little petrified. <laughs> uh, how are you? And so with that, I want you to know that even the human body has a life cycle. Plastic will one day decompose. I don't know how many million years, but it takes a while, but it, everything has a life cycle. I'm getting to this. Every church has a life cycle. It's part of what I teach when I'm teaching at Boise Bible College or Bushnell or some of these other places. We talk about the life cycle of a church. Now, the difference between a church and a body is the day's going to come. This thing isn't going to regenerate here on earth. That's going to have to happen in heaven. I, I realize it, but Think of a church. It always starts exciting. It's new. It's a crisis right out of the gate. And we've planted a bunch of churches. You've helped us plant churches. This church started in 1977. It was exciting. And it grows quickly. And it's un you're unsure what's going to happen. So it's exciting. And then you reach a comfortable level, whatever that might be, and every church that grows rapidly will then begin to plateau. Now we're comfortable. Now a terrible thing happens when we plateau. It all of a sudden isn't about why we started. We forget why we started this, and now we're comfortable. Here it was about, I'll tell you about Redwood. 
and about the other churches the OCEF has helped plant. When we start, it is for one reason, and that is to lift up Jesus Christ and to increase the attendance of heaven, period. We are here to carry out what the Son of Man said he was for, and that was to seek and to save the lost. And that's why that church got started. That's why this church got started. And we're excited about it. And people come to the Lord. In 1977, there were two first baptisms. One was Jack McCormick, and the other was Daryl Crutzinger. I don't know if you remember those names, but you should. And it was exciting. But then we reach a, a peak, and we're comfortable. And what happens is it becomes about me and my comfort level and what I like and what I don't like. This is very true of the human life cycle also. We're growing up, it's excited, we fall down, we get up, we're trying new things, we're trying to see what we can do next, and then we get comfortable. When a church gets comfortable, it's on the edge of death. Because what comes after plateau is decline, and it is rapid. Because when we exist for our comfort level, we do no longer exist for the mission of Christ. Now, I see it in church after church. One of the blessings of being a part of the OCEF, and you are an OCEF supporting church, one of your missions, is we're helping churches get turned around. Because, you see, if you hit the plateau and you start to decline, you don't have to die. It usually takes a crisis. Usually somebody has to say, I don't want to die. <laughs> we got to get help. And so there's usually a crisis, but then you can actually, this little bell curve that was exciting, you start to hit a plateau, and something can happen so that you take that next leap of faith into Christ. Once you know, I see that in churches all the time, but that's exactly what we saw just after Joshua. A time of great faith, a time of growth, for God's kingdom, a time of plateau where we just enjoyed what he did for Joshua, and then a time where the next generation doesn't even know who God is. Now I'm going to talk about Redwood. Here we go, because this is an exciting, exciting... I get to talk about this, by the way. When I'm working with churches around the state, I do get to tell the story of Redwood. It had an extremely dynamic beginning. Really did. And I believe we're not done yet. But I, let me go to my brain momentarily because I didn't bring all the paperwork, but I have some of the history of Redwood. And we had a, I don't know if it's findable now, but uh, Florence Iman Hopper um, had photo albums of the history of the church. And it was so cool. But the church began in 1977. Brian gave you a piece of this, and then he said, oh, I lost, I forgot to use one page of my notes. So he missed some names. He asked me if I'd fill in the blanks. But the church began in a home Bible study on February 17, 1977, in the home of Grace and Merle Ely. And it was exciting. Uh, from the very beginning of the church, the very first offering that was ever given, 10% of that was given to missions right out of the gate when it was still, some wouldn't even consider this, this a church yet, but it was. Missions was supported. And the work and the function of the church uh, actually became everybody's responsibility, not just one family. You showed up at Redwood, you're going to get a job. 
And by the way, that's kind of scriptural, isn't it? We got that whole thing, the priesthood of all believers. Everybody gets a job. And I think that's over the years we've seen that with this family. We were a family. And in a family, everybody pitches in. And that was exciting to see here as well. Um, Let me give you some of the history. It was in... um, we talked about the property being purchased, this, this, this small one here, and then more was purchased over here. The purchase price of this property right here was $11,500 in 1977. 11000 of that then was given by the OCEF so that it wouldn't be a burden. Now, when in the OCEF, we are not a denominational headquarters. We are just kind of the hands and feet for all the Christian churches and churches of Christ. So what happened is, Redwood was ready to buy this property for 11500 and Willie White, who was the executive director of the OCEF, his name will come back into play here shortly, he put out a plea to all the Christian churches and said, hey, a new church in Grants Pass needs property. What can you give? And all the churches pitched in and through the OCEF gave $11,000. Now, Today we go, well, big whoop. But the property cost eleven five. I mean, you see <laughs> the, the comparison here. And then when we built the building, let me, let me go to that. This first building was built in 79, 78. We began working on it. And another contribution came from the churches of Oregon through the OCEF, and that was just under 11,500 came. Uh, first services were held on April 1st, 1979, and dedicated the building on August 12th, 1979. Uh, joining property was purchased in 82. In 1989, um, started the uh, gymnasium and all the classrooms here. And then in 1996 through 97, we worked on the next piece, which just keep going. We were the church, we were kind of the, the Winchester house of churches. You know that story? Just keep building and building and building until we ran out of property to build on. And then, what year was it? I think I got it here. Maybe I don't. 17 acres. I don't have the year. 17 acres was purchased down here on the corner of Helms Road and Redwood Highway. And that was for future growth. However, we never made it quite that far. But let me tell you, this church has always been about, let me tell you what we're not about. We're not about buildings. (laughs) In fact, Eddie, I could be wrong, but I heard a story years ago that when this building was built, 50 by 100 building with a 10-foot ceiling, it was, if the church doesn't make it, or if the church gets so big so fast we got to move, we could always sell it for many storehouses, many warehouse. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, where is your faith? But now that I work with church after church after church, I'm going, that was brilliant. (laughs) Because many times you do outgrow a facility. And what do you do with the old one? You're limited on who you can sell it to. They thought ahead. Well, let me talk about that past just briefly. There were some of the dates. But I want to talk about that preacher that came over. That first guy, his name was Wayne Osborne. Wayne and Flossie Osborne came over. He was preaching at the... uh, I think it was just called Central Point Church of Christ. It later became Hope uh, Church of Christ, but Central Point Church of Christ. Wayne was preaching there. The Ely's and others came and said, would you come and lead our Bible study? 
They paid him $45 a week to do that. But he was getting a bit of a paycheck still from the church over there. But then it was time. Things grew, and he says, I'll come. And to supplement his income, he was a professional fisherman. Any of you remember Wayne Osborne? He looked like Popeye. <laughs> he had a beard right here, no mustache. He just looked like he should be fishing. And he was. If he wasn't fishing for fish, he was fishing for men. But I told you I was going to bring this name up again. Willie White was the executive director, church planter for the OCEF, and he was best friends with Wayne Osborne. I think one of the reasons Wayne felt like, I can do this, is because Willie kept saying, you can do this. And they did. This was in 77. In 1978, Willie went to Brookings and started Brookings Harbor Christian Church. And so we had sister churches going, basically baby churches, starting at the same time. And that was an exciting beginning, but it didn't stop with just a preacher. It came because we had good people. Good DNA. I'll tell you, you established something. I don't know a lot about people. I know more about horses, I think. We raised horses for years, and you, you check the bloodlines of your horses pretty carefully. And, and you, when you try to sell a horse, they look back. You know, I think we can do that with us, with churches. What is our DNA? Where did this, where did this church come from? Let me tell you, the DNA of this church, Redwood Christian Church, is established solely on the Bible being the Word of God, and it is true cover to cover. You with me on that? Not everybody agrees in other places, but that's who we are. That is our DNA. It's called biblical, sound biblical teaching or sound biblical doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. Don't get all uptight about that. But that's who we are. The Bible is going to be taught. We're not afraid to bring out a story of Joshua and say, how does that apply to us today? We have that good DNA. I want you to know that everything here points to the gospel. We're a new covenant church. We believe the Old Testament is completely true. But Jesus said it was fulfilled at the cross, at the death, burial, and resurrection. And he opened a new contract, a new covenant of love through Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And folks, anything, let me tell you, if, you, if you're new here, let me just give you the the info on us. If something in Scripture is connected to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or for the forgiveness of sins, or anything that means the same thing, if it's applied to that, we will not negotiate our teaching on it. We're just going to do it. And that's not a long list, folks. But while some will compromise on faith or repentance or even baptism or something else, we're just going to teach it. We don't tell other people they're doing it wrong. You come here, we're just going to show you what the Bible says. That's the DNA of the church. That's why it was so exciting and different and needed at the time. In 1977, back from 69 to 77, there was a strong movement in religious organizations to abandon the Word of God as truth. And this church started to say no. We started, we began, so that we could stand for biblical truth. We had also a godly purpose. I mentioned it earlier that if Jesus, the head of the church, came to seek and save the lost, then why aren't we carrying it out? 
And that was really the focus. How can we bring our friends? Jack McCormick once said, I'd, I know I probably should wear a suit. Remember back in the 70s, people were wearing suits. That was actually where the shirt, coat, and tie match. I don't know if you know, you know what a suit is, but people were wearing suits. Jack said, I probably, I know I probably should wear a suit. I always remember him saying, but if I wear a suit and somebody comes from Miller Redwood, the mill where he worked, they would not stop laughing at me wearing a suit, and they never come again. So Jack went out and bought a new pair of jeans and a plaid shirt. And you know what? We had a lot of people from Miller Redwood start coming, and a lot of the other mills, a lot of the other construction sites, because our people understood it was more important how we treated others and that they come rather than how we look. And I believe that has to still be the church of the future. I, I will tell you that, uh, boy, I had some names here. I'm going to give you some names. You'll know some of them. The, we had some founding families. Let me tell you, every church plant has a launch team. We used to call them, uh, what do we call them? I can't remember. We've, we've called them many things. But that group that first comes, they're like pioneers, <laughs> not settlers. They're looking for something new. They're looking for something exciting. They're willing to, to risk everything. We call them a launch team today, but those founding families here risked everything, including their own property. People like the Ely's, the Ownby's, the McCormick's, the Crutzingers, and then there, here came another wave. And I'm not trying to leave anybody out, by the way. I cannot... I'm, over, I'm nearly 70. I can't remember hardly what I had for breakfast, although it was Captain Crunch and it was very good. So I'm just, a, I do remember <laughs> breakfast. But there was a next wave of families that came in. People, maybe names you heard, Imans, and they're generational. They kept coming. The Wyans, oh my goodness. Probably the greatest elder I've ever worked with in 45 to 50 years of ministry is Brad Wyan. That guy wasn't afraid of anything including me. <laughs> and we had Paul and Kitty Anderson, Pruitts, Snyders, Hagers, Deerdorf, Rushes, and our names go on and on as the Lord continued to add to the number. Now, these are names that maybe don't mean anything to you. Before I get done today, I want you to put your name on that list. I'm going to get to my conclusion before I go any further. Here's where, here's where I'm going. You are the launch team for this next wave. You are the ones who will take the risks. Your name may not be remembered, <laughs> except in the Lamb's Book of Life. But let me tell you, people sacrificed to make sure that the gospel would be preached here in Grants Pass. These were the formative years. Those first six years with Wayne Osborne, the church grew dynamically, quickly. It was exciting. It was risky. And then we hit kind of a plateau. And we plateaued for a few years. We maintained. And then in 1989, the elders in the congregation made almost the fatal decision to hire Bob Wood as their pastor. <laughs> But I've always said the, 
I can, I can get hired, but the only reason they kept us 15 years here is because everybody likes Sherry. I don't need an amen. We all know it's true. She's up at Camp Grove, by the way, the Shepherdess Retreat. A lot of our gals are there. Uh, she, she helped lead a panel last night, and I guess things are going really well there as well. But during those years, we decided, we didn't decide, it just happened. We believed that we should be reaching the lost, that somehow this wasn't all about us. Now, i got to tell you one story real quick, real quick. This, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm a preacher. But I'll tell you, when I first tried out, I believe it was February of 89, met with the pulpit team, met with the elders, and the, this building that we call the gymnasium or multipurpose was just concrete, had been poured. And I asked the question of the elders, and I'm, try, I'm interviewing them while they're interviewing me. Do I want to come here? I want to go somewhere where everything's a risk, but the gospel can move forward. But I didn't ask it that way. I just said, who's that building for? Who are we building that for? And Brad Wyan, the elder I just mentioned, said, we are building that building for those who are not yet a part of our family. I'm in. Now, did we always live that way? No. There's times we go, no, it's about me, and I like the blue carpet. I didn't like that. <laughs> okay, we always have stuff. But still, that's why we built new buildings for those who were not yet a part of our family. What could we do that might help somebody else get introduced, not only to our family, but more importantly, to Jesus? It was on Father's Day of 1989 that I had my first Sunday, and, and, and it was fun. And we had ups and downs, but we got to see God doing amazing things. In fact, the first year we were here, we saw 75 people give their lives, 25 people give their lives to the Lord and be baptized. Over the next years, that would be the least amount of conversions we would see in one year. We saw as many as 75 people give their lives to the Lord one year. Folks, I don't know if you understand what you are a part of, but it is dynamic. And I'm helping churches today throughout the state. They haven't had a baptism or a conversion in four decades. They died 30 years ago. They just needed somebody to kick a little dirt in their face and tell them they were buried. But we don't want to end them there, you see. Some of you remember Daniel Baker. He came to the Lord here, helped with our youth, went into the ministry. He is at uh, Lighthouse Church in Seaside. And they are just now helping a church just north of there that hasn't had a conversion in probably three or four decades. It was all but closed, and they're helping them get back on their feet. We're helping Lighthouse help the other church. It's just fun to do. You, you have a piece of that because we're in this for the long term. We're in this for all eternity. Well, Red would be careful. We've seen it. We've seen the plateaus, we've seen the declines, we've seen the new growth, and then we've seen the plateau again. I want you to know where you're at right now. We have gone through a plateau, and we are seeing people come to Christ again. You have a young pastor. I'm glad he's not here. I can talk positive. Don't, don't listen if you're watching, Brian. I'm going to say something nice about you. We have a young man who believes the Bible is true period. And he's willing to risk everything to see the gospel move forward. I am so proud of him. 
of Catherine. I'm praying for both of them and the kids. Because folks, you need to be praying for them. Because when you become the pastor of a church, the church does something they don't intentionally know they're doing, but they paint a big bullseye right on, right on the preacher's back for Satan to know who to go after. And if he can't get to the preacher, who does he go after next? His wife. He can't get after them, he goes after the elders. And there what he Satan does not stop, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we read the last chapter of the book, we know who wins. So, folks, we are on an up, upturn, an uptick here. We have gone through a plateau and a decline, and the elders said, What are we going to do now? We cannot keep doing what we've been doing and expect a different result. And on behalf of the other Christian churches and churches of Christ in the state, I'm going to say thank you for calling the OCEF and saying, how can we partner together? We are not the denominational headquarters that are ever going to tell you what to do. We're just here to support your play. Maybe give you some ideas. Recommended a pastor in Brian. We get a chance to coach. And also, your church is paying for him to get a coaching once a month up with a dozen other young pastors, uh, such as Daniel Baker. Another one of those young pastors is uh, Lloyd Pounds from Myrtle Point. Boy, they're knocking it out of the park. Lloyd, best thing he ever did was marry a young gal named Annabelle, who's from Redwood Christian Church. Let me tell you one of the positive things of our past that we've got to continue in the future. As I travel around the state and around the Northwest, you know, almost every church I go in has somebody, either a paid ministry or volunteer, that started at Redwood. Our legacy, the legacy of this church, is putting people into the ministry, getting people, whether it's paid or not, because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that everybody should have a job. For Jesus' sake. So that's enough of the past. We've had a good past. We've had ups and downs. Don't ever believe that it was all smooth sailing, just like it hasn't been in your own life. But we're on an upsurge, and I believe God is blessing. So where are we going? I believe we're at a time, potential time in the life of the church that is as exciting as it was in 1977 in Grace and Merle's house. <laughs> are we going to make it? And then we move from the house to the Grange. Remember that? I'm looking right at Eddie over here. He's nodding. I'm just, I'm looking for a clarification. Am I right? And then it became exciting again. And we got to, Sherry and I and Natalie and Emily got to be a part of that. And then I, I wish I would have written down the names of the people that we've sent into the ministry. That it's a bunch and, and, and they, it's names, some of them you wouldn't recognize. They were here for such a short time, but you, you launched them. I remember, I, somebody said, what was, how many kids did you have at Boise Bible College at one time? I can tell you, because we gave $1,000, this church gave $1,000 a semester um, to every student that would go to Boise Bible College. At one time, I know we had nine students over there at one time because we were having to raise 9,000 extra dollars every semester. It's like, ah, that's stuck. I'll mention one of them. Sarah McCormick Short. Today she is in Post Falls. Well, today she's at Camp Grove speaking. But she married a guy from Boise Bible College, and they... He's the family minister at Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, a church that runs 
probably about 7,000 a weekend, but we were just up there a while back, and they have a Thursday night service. Who has a Thursday night service? There's probably 800 to 1,000 people there. And all of a sudden, this little girl gets up front. She looked about that big to me because that's how big she was when I first met her. And Sarah got up in front of 1,000 people, and she kind of led the thing with the excitement and why we're here. And she's not the preacher. She's not on paid staff, I don't think. But she is a leader. The thing she saw in you, she is taking to another level. That's just one. Marcus Omdahl, preacher. Uh, the Yunkers. Boy, Bob Yunker. If you ever want to say praise God for somebody, you mention Bob Yunker's name to Jesus. That guy is in Burns, Oregon. Half of you don't even know where Burns, Oregon is. The other half aren't sure they want to know. He, in Jesus' name, owns that county as far as relationships go. If there's a fire, if there's a police need, if there's any need in town, they call Bob. When Sherry was OHSU and had a 12-hour surgery, and she said, if I need a preacher, you call Bob Yunker. What about me? <laughs> she knew I would be a wreck. Why, Bob? He's relational. He loves people. That's what we taught here. You taught. Where are we going next? Well, I said it. you got to remember, this is God's kingdom, not ours. We just get to play a part right now. And I believe this is a portion of the, the next launch team. You are here because God wants you here. What are you going to do with that? Well, do something. <laughs> Don't be like the generation after the generation of Joshua that just quit obeying. They wrote on the shirt tails of those before them and said, eh, I don't know. No, we need to be the Joshua of this story. Every one of us. We need to step up and say, Lord, here am I. What did he say? And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's us. A year from now, it will not look the same as it does today. And those of you that are really comfortable right now, get a clue. You're not going to be comfortable if God is doing a God thing here. I don't need to be comfortable. I need to be excited for Jesus' sake. Somebody say amen or something. Amen. You that are really comfortable, just sit there and grump. But the rest of us, we're going to move forward. I'm glad to be a part of it again. Even if we can't be here every week, believe me, we are here in our love and our appreciation for you and what God's doing here. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't have a ministry, get one. If you don't know who to ask, I see some elders here. I see others. Anybody up front, say, what can I do? I'm here. Give me a job. Just don't stick me with the babies, please. <laughs> for their sake. Find a job and do it. And let's just see where God leads Redwood in the next few years. Because I believe our best years are definitely not behind us. Our best years are in front of us. For Jesus' sake. Why don't you stand up with me if you can. If you can't, just sit there and push somebody else up. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray that we get to see 
miracles of conversion and lives changed like we've never seen before. And it rocks our world for Jesus' sake. Let me pray. Father, every one of us here who loves you have friends and family that don't yet love you. Father, I pray that through the example of our lives and the way we love others on your behalf, that they would want to know and want to know you. Not just what we have, but who we have. Lord, I pray for Redwood. We've had a dynamic beginning. We had a phenomenal mid midsection, but Lord, we pray our best years are still ahead. Lord, I pray that the number of people that go out from here into ministry would be greater tomorrow than it was yesterday. But Lord, I do pray for every single individual here that they would be like Joshua. They would stand firm in your covenant and say, as for me and my house, Lord, we will serve you and you alone. Father, I thank you for this family, for the privilege of being a part of this family. And until Jesus comes, we're going to do our best. And when he comes, we are really excited about that family reunion. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.